The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you with me. I'm Elise Cortez, your host, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. And if you've been tuning in for a while, then you know the show is what I do through my own company, Elise Cortez and Associates. And it's really all about helping people more meaningfully and um, productively connect with their work. So I hope you get something useful from today's conversation. And if I can help you with your own professional or organizational development, let me know. I'm working with people to get them unstuck, to increase their engagement, performance, and retention. And I have, I'm having a good time with it. So drop me a line if I can help you at Elise at Elise Cortez. So one other thing to say before we jump into today's guest, I want to thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, they are the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control of their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thanks, Jobbing.com. So for this week, with me right here in my office studio is Alicia Fry. She is the Chief Executive Officer at Jonathan's Place here in Dallas. This is an organization that helps abused, abandoned, and neglected children. She has built an impressive career for in-profit companies prior to entering the nonprofit space and has a real passion for the work she does, as you'll soon hear. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Lots to talk about here. I, I want to open with the juice, if mm-hmm. we can, right? We know that this show is really all about connecting, ideally, with your purpose, your your passion, your values. So tell us what it is that you love about working as the CEO of Jonathan's Place. I love seeing the children and working with the children. I love seeing them laugh and smile um, and just being there for their first experiences. We take them to various um, events and they get to blow glass and they get to go to the museum and do things that they've never done before. And just seeing their faces and how they enjoy it, that really that really gives me purpose, purpose and it makes me very excited. And tell us, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are are, are on the air right now that don't really understand the mission or really what it is that Jonathan's Place does. So Mm -hmm. paint the picture for us of of what the services are. Sure. Jonathan's Place is a nonprofit organization. We've been around for 25 years and we care for abused, abandoned and neglected children. We care for over 4,700 children in those 25 years. And we do so through five different programs. We have an emergency shelter for children ranging in age from birth to their 18th 
16th birthday, and we're, we're one of the only shelters in Dallas that care for children under the age of five because it can be very costly. And um, so we knew that we knew that going in, but we said we did not want to separate sibling groups. So we went to our community and asked for help, and they came through. So we've been able to continue to keep children together. We also have a girls therapeutic program for young girls ranging in age from 10 to 18 that have suffered from sexual abuse. And those young girls can actually age out with us at Jonathan's Place. And we have a new program that we've just opened, and that's a transitional living program for young girls ranging in age from 18 to 23 who have aged out of foster care and have nowhere to go. We also have a foster care and adoption program, and we just opened another office in Fort Worth, and that's where we recruit, train, and support foster families. And last but definitely not least, um, we are the Dallas County affiliate for the National Safe Place um, Agency, and that is where we go into middle schools and high schools, and we talk to students about the dangers of running away and being on the street and what you can do instead. The, um, The national organization has a partnership with Quick Trip Convenience Stores, so you'll see a yellow safe place sign in front of all of those stores. And that, that lets children and youth know that they can go into that store and ask for help. And we will they will call us and we will go there and assess the situation no matter what time it is, day or night. That is amazing, Alicia. I mean, no wonder you get up in the morning happy to go to work. <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is amazing to see these children and know that that you're there and you're a safety net for them and you're there to help them when they are suffering from a great deal of trauma and abuse and you're there to really care for them and provide them the safety that they need. Mm-hmm. You said a, a phrase before about the girls aging out. Do you mm-hmm. mean when they turn 18? Correct. Or when they, okay. Correct. When they when they turn 18. And okay. if they haven't made a connection with that foster family or just like we did at 18, we just thought we knew everything and we wanted to be <laughs> on our own. And, you know, when our fathers were saying that electricity bill doesn't pay for itself, we, you know, went in one ear and out the other. These children experience the same thing. Um, and we just want to be there for those who realize, uh oh, you know, this is harder than I thought it would be. And we want to be that agency where they can come and live with us and we'll help get them into school if that's what they want to do, help them find a job. We just want to make sure that they can take care of themselves and they don't end up on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I remember this detail about you from the luncheon that we had some time back. Uh, you don't have your own children, correct? I don't. You don't? No. So what is your perspective on these these children that you care for? Are they Do you consider them to be your kids? Or I what do. <laughs> I do. And that's probably where the majority of my exhaustion comes from <laughs> because that's a lot of children. We have around 77 children today um, in our care that have suffered from abuse and neglect throughout our programs. But the three programs that I spoke of, the shelter, the girls therapeutic, and the transitional living program are all located on our campus, which is in Garland. So I get to see those children on a regular basis and I get to spend time especially with the girls in the girls therapeutic program since they are there for a longer period of time so we're all chipping in taking them to volleyball practice and you know there for their first dates although I spend a lot of time crying about that but for their first dates and their sweet 16 birthday parties and you know it just never ends you know for a lot of people that may have one or two teens can you imagine having eight teenage girls at the same time mm-hmm. so and, and wanting to give them everything knowing the life that they had before they came to Jonathan's place and in a sense wanting to kind of not so much erase it but give them the opportunity to have a better life and better adventures and uh, a clear outlook a happy outlook on their future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
One of the things that you said that I did capture at lunch that I found kind of frankly mind-boggling mm-hmm. is is you said that the state of Texas removes between 350 and 400 kids per month from their parents. And that's not even just the state of Texas. That is the Metroplex. Oh, the Metroplex. So, yes, the that's the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Oh, and that never Texas. has increased as of lately. Oh. So, yeah. So, that's a lot of children that are that are being removed. And there's, there's such a great need for foster families. You know, I tell anybody, even if you just thought about it, you know, you could be a single parent. Um, even if you just thought about it and said, oh, I'm kind of interested, you should give us a call. You should give us a call. We have orientation once a month and you can attend that and ask a million questions. We wanna make sure it's a fit for the family as well as the children. So anyone interested, there's a lot of children out there that need homes. Well, I wanna understand maybe your perspective on what you think is contributing to, to this. What, what, what are, what's the breadth, maybe some of the breadth and depth, maybe the issues that inform this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely drugs and poverty. Um, you know, over the summer, usually we have a mix of children in our care. So I'll have in our shelter um, children that have suffered from physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect due to drugs. There's always that mix. Over the summer for two months, all the children in our shelter were there because of neglect, because their parents were addicted to meth. That has never happened never happened so we as a society we truly need to wake up and really focus on the drug problems in this country because whenever you have a family you have someone that is addicted to drugs they are opening their home to unsavory people and they are their children they're putting their children in danger they're also just neglecting their children you know they don't want to take them to school and if they take them to school they forget to pick them up and they don't feed them we'll have children that'll come to our shelter and we'll ask them you know they'll come in on a Sunday night two o'clock in the morning and we'll ask them when's the last time you've eaten and they'll say Friday at school mm-hmm. you know because their parents are so you know consumed with this drug habit that that's what they're spending their money on and they're not taking care of their children or their children may have asthma or some other medical condition and they're not getting their prescriptions filled so they're neglecting these children so it's much bigger than just the word neglect you know, they have people in and out of their homes that's setting their daughters and their children up for sexual abuse. So it's it's so much bigger than that, you know? And then when you have the poverty level that we have, and it can be very stressful to parents and who is going to, who's the most vulnerable? The most vulnerable are our children. The most vulnerable are our children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that really, really paints a picture for me and I appreciate you sharing what's behind this what's driving this mm-hmm. because when you think about these issues and where they come from I, I think it's I think for a lot of us who don't work in the field we can't see the connections the threats mm-hmm. um, and maybe along those lines another thing that you said that at lunch that I thought was also quite interesting and made me think a lot was you said that when you see homeless people on the streets today that you see them as earlier foster children I do can you say more about that I can they're On any given day in the United States, there's around 412,000 children in foster care. And out of that 412,000, 22,000 will age out of foster care. And if they haven't made a connection to that family, they, you know, they're going to end up being, if they don't have a support system, they're going to end up homeless. They're going to end up, you know, addicted to drugs and and being incarcerated because just trying to survive out on those streets. Um, And that's very scary. So every time I do see a homeless person, I just, the first thing I think of is that could have been a child that 
one, suffered from abuse and neglect and ran away from home, or, you know, two, that aged out of the foster care system and didn't have any type of support out there for them. And we all need support. Mm -hmm. I don't care how old you are. You all need support and we all need a family and someone to belong to. Absolutely. And that makes me wonder, Alicia, um, do you at Jonathan's Place, do you teach some basic life skills to your girls to help them once they actually leave there so they're kind of prepared for the outside world? We do. We um, partner with uh, Track, and that is through, they have a contract, it's through um, City Square, and they have a contract with the state. So all children, once they turn 16 that are in the child welfare system, they do have classes that will prepare them for life. So they, you know, financial literacy and, and managing their health and all of those things. So at 16, they start taking those classes through Track. Okay. I would think that would be really, really important, especially when I when I start to think about what you're describing to us about how these oftentimes they land in, in your care because their parents are, are addicted to drugs and therefore not focused on them. Correct. So they're not probably teaching them the basic life mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, uh, just to give you a short story along those lines, I can remember so vividly um, one of the students I got to work with some time ago, um, who was t- we, the, I asked them to write a paper about how they form habits, and he was explaining how it was that he started smoking cigarettes, mm-hmm. and he said that he was in the care of um, some extended family member and who had a, a drug problem, and she would um, she would start to fall into her haze, and she, as she was smoking, he was so worried about the idea of a fire that he would sit there and watch her smoke the cigarettes and then as they started to fall out of her hands he would catch them before they hit the carpet and start a fire and he said one day I just decided to put one to my mouth and see what it was like and that's how my habit started Mm -hmm. but when I think about the kinds of responsibility that probably a lot of these kids have been exposed to yeah definitely when we have sibling groups come into our shelter you can always tell which child was the parent You know, you'll have a sibling group, two, three, four. You may have a seven or nine-year-old that doesn't want to go outside and play because they want to make sure you fed the Mm two-year-old. A seven and a nine-year-old should be worried about that. So in a sense, we have to teach children how to be children again. Mm -hmm. And we do that very gently. You know, we show them that, okay, we fed Samantha, DC. Now let's let's go to the game room. Let's play a couple of games. Or let's go to the library and let's read a book. But we, in a sense, we have to teach children how to be children again. Mm -hmm. Wow. Does it help bring out the kid in you at all? Oh, it definitely does. I'm I'm a big kid anyway, and so is my husband. If you know all of our friends that are around us, they're just like you guys are the craziest group, but we are, and we are just um, just want to be happy and full of life, and that's what you know. My, I always say my glass is always half full. It's always half full, and it can't help but be when you work in this field and you you see those children, and it really it gives you perspective on what you think is an issue or a problem, mm-hmm. you know, because I can always tell myself I am not a child in a shelter right now. Mm-hmm. I did not go through what these children have gone through. So, you know, sometimes it, it may not make you the best friend because you pretty much tell your friends to suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> you no longer listen to that whining, but it's like, uh, you want to come with me to the shelter? Yeah. And, you know, it kind of, again, puts things in perspective, yeah. but it does. It gives me the opportunity to just hang out with kids. And sometimes on my worst day, on my busiest day, if I'm worried about funding or something like that, that's all I have to do is go into the shelter, sit on the floor and let the children climb all over me. And my day is a million times better. Wow. Wow. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. Therapy at work. Who knew? It it really is. It really is. 
Well, one of the other things that I thought was kind of fun about your our timing to have you on the show is that I I, I know that you're celebrating an important anniversary. It's 25 oh, years. 25 years. That's a long time. It is. It's a quarter of a century. Yeah. So what are you doing to commemorate this occasion? We're doing a lot. We have an event almost every month. Um, we are we have a luncheon, which will take place this coming Tuesday, the 26th, and it will be held at the Dallas Country Club. Um, it'll start at 1130 and end at 1. And we have an amazing speaker, Dr. Laura Johnson, who is from Dallas, and she's going to talk about what she went through as a child who, um, being a child of a heroin addict, her mother was a heroin actor, her father was an alcoholic, um, and just how she became a doctor and the support, the teachers that supported her throughout and helped her to become the person that she is today. And she is amazing. She's the sweetest, kindest woman. They did an article on her in D Magazine and one of our, our chair for the luncheon, Rachel Stevens and Allison Carlisle are our chairs. And Allison read this article and sent it to me and she said, we've got to talk to this, this woman. And so I was reading the article and she talks about her life and what she went through and the support that she had. And then at the end she says, and I love it when I go to Jonathan's place and care for the children. And we were all blown away. We had no idea that that was Dr. Johnson and that was her story. Um, we have a, a partnership with Parkland and they have a big one, a bagel that comes out every Tuesday and they see our children in the shelter and girls therapeutic program and Dr. Laura is the doctor in that in that um, kind of traveling medical room so to speak and we had no idea that she had been through what she'd been through what an inspiration that very is, much so that is remarkable very and, much and, so and I, and I know you know certainly having been in, involved in community service that there's a ton involved to pull off an event like that yeah um, how many about how many people do you expect to be at the luncheon? We expect we are almost sold out. We expect around 430 people. Wow. Um, so sponsorships, we don't have any more tables. Now we have a few individual tickets. So if you go to our website at jpkids.org, um, it will show sold out. But you can call us at 972-303-5303 and um you can punch in extension 221, and that's Vicki LaRue. She does our, she's our events manager, and she can sell you the um, individual tickets over the phone. But we are probably around 10 seats from being sold out. So we're excited about that. And then we have our regular events, and these will all be posted on our website in the next week or so. But we have a golf tournament in the, at the end of the year um, in October. We are going to have a big birthday party at Clyde Warren Park. Um, I'm going to say October 15th. And then we will close out the year and have an event at um, Trinity Grove. So we're really excited about all of those. But we're really excited about our birthday bash because, um, like I said, that's at Clyde Warren Park on October 15th and you can bring the kids and there'll be all kinds of, of events for the kids and fun games and learn more about Jonathan's place. So what do you hope to raise from, from the luncheon and other events? Well, from the luncheon, we've never um, had this event at Clyde Warren Park, and that's really more about awareness. But the luncheon, we're hoping to raise around $230,000. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know how much work it takes, um, so hats off to you, and I'm cheering for you. I Thank you. It'll be great gobs of fun. Um, and 25 years is nothing to sneeze at when you think I'm about where you, you all started from, yeah. Ron Gaston, mm -hmm. to where you are now in Garland. Yes. You've come a long way, baby, as they like to say. Yeah, we definitely have. And our founder, um, Lisa Matthews, I took over the agency in 2011. And our founder, Lisa Matthews, you know, we we're just so blessed that she had the vision she had. 
How wonderful. Yeah. Great way to break here. We're going into our first break here with Alicia Fry. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been talking about her connection and passion to the work that she does, helping abused and neglected children, and learning about this, this luncheon she's putting on here to celebrate her 25 years. After the break, we're going to learn more about how she actually operates in the nonprofit space and some of the things she's learned along the way. Stay with us. on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. If you're just joining us, my guest is Alicia Fry, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Jonathan's Place here in the Dallas, Texas area. There, she oversees an emergency shelter, girls' residential treatment program, foster adopt program, transitional living program, and then the National Safe Place Program, among many other things. We're here together in, in my office studio, and let's pick up where we, where we left off. We were talking a bit about that uh, 25-year celebration, the luncheon, the golf tournament. Later on, you'll have the event at Clyde Warren Park. For this part of the show, this second segment, I really want to uh, let our listeners in on what it's like to be able to organize and execute something like that. I know that some of the listeners that are coming on today are probably here because they want to be able to learn something from your experience that they can take back to their own agency. Mm-hmm. So to that end, um, tell us a little bit about what's involved in the planning and execution of a celebration like this. It's got to be enormous <laughs> and long term. I don't know when it starts. Yeah, it's it is enormous. We we usually start. <clears throat> we give ourselves a break. So let's say okay. So our luncheon it's going to take place on April twenty sixth. Um, after the luncheon, we usually take around two, three weeks to breathe mm-hmm. because it's such a long process. And then we'll start working on the luncheon again. So we'll start looking at dates um, that we want to have our luncheon. We'll start looking at speakers, that possible speakers that we'll want to um, have at our luncheon, um, which can be very costly. 
Um, we will also start looking for volunteers. You look for committee chairs that can help you out. So individuals that are passionate about your agency that want to help with the luncheon. And you usually have one or two. Um, we prefer to have two chairs so they can tag team. And then the chairs get their friends involved and sit on various committees like the raffle committee and, and underwriting committee and um, the host committee and all of that. And then you just start working on your timeline. Um, once you have your speaker um, kind of locked in and you have your date set, then you start sending out your underwriting packages and requesting sponsorships. And um, it's a lot of work. It's it's a long process, but it's your, you get a, I, I hate to put it this way, but you get a, a a big bang for your buck, so to speak. You know, when else am I going to have 430 people in a room that can hear about Jonathan's Place and what we do and how they can help? Because everyone wants to help in some way, shape, or form, whether it's volunteering, monetary donation, whatever. So you have all of these individuals in that room, and that's when you can really, you know, tell them about your agency, and and then they get something out of it. They get a great meal and a great speaker. Um, one one year, we had Nia Bartolos from My Big Fat Greek Wedding yep. as our speaker, wow. and Demarcus Ware, he accepted an award that year. So they get to meet individuals that they normally wouldn't get to meet on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a win-win for every and all these people that are working on on the, on the, on the overall event committee or the, the 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 celebration committee, how many people are we talking about? Do you think? My goodness, we probably have on our committee alone. I would say maybe twenty to thirty people, and they're all doing something. So. We are two chairs. We have um, Allison Carlisle and Rachel Stevens, and then they're friends. So the raffle committee may have 15 people on the raffle committee, but that just means you have 15 people. Maybe somebody will go, everybody will go like their favorite restaurant or their favorite place that they shop and ask for a donation. So it's not something where they have to go and meet every day or even once a week. Once you have that initial meeting and this is what you need to do, they just go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, now the underwriting committee, that may be a little bit more um, work in that because you have to put together underwriting packages and get all those delivered and you know follow up phone calls and such. So it really depends on what what committee they sit on. And then the host committee, they really just work during the day of the event. So they'll be greeters, they'll help with registration, they'll help set up the room the day before. So, you know, I think it's something for everyone that they can help and do depending on their schedule. And are these all volunteers or any of these people? They are all, I have one, um, my events manager, um, Vicki LaRue, and um, my development director, Ty, who's over Vicki, they assist as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, there's times when various staff throughout the office will help, um, but it's mainly their job to, to pull this event off and to manage the volunteers. And that's where it's hard as a nonprofit, you know, especially a smaller nonprofit like Jonathan's Place. Um, I always say we're a small nonprofit doing big things, but we do have a small staff. So, you know, everybody at our agency, everybody, it's all hands on deck no matter what your job is. When it when it comes time to pull off this luncheon, everybody's in doing something. I was out buying frames today. So it's everybody's in. Now do you do have you done this luncheon for quite some time? So you've got this stuff is to our build fifth on? year. Fifth year. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is our fifth year. So we're just starting out in comparison to, you know, some of the other agencies out there. But um I just felt when I came on that we needed to have this luncheon and to to help to educate the public and to make people more aware of Jonathan's place and what we do. We're kind of, you know, hidden, you know, uh, still here. We've been around for 25 years, but there's 
uh, people out there that still don't know about us. And that's also a part of being a nonprofit. You don't have a marketing department and a communications department, you know. So um, any opportunity you have to get the word out about what you do um, and your mission, that's that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you have five years under your belt. I have had very interesting conversations over the years with, with people who have this. They, th- they say, oh, you know, we're going to start this event. We're going to start this. We're going to do this event, this luncheon, this whatever it is to raise money. And, and they're all excited as they should be, but they really just have no idea what they're getting into. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, it's a process. I have been very involved in the East Dallas community and raised, put together events and raised money over the years and have learned a ton in that yeah. process. Gotten my knees skinned and, you know, my eyes blackened the whole process mm-hmm. because you learn so very yeah. much yeah. every time that you do it. So five years is, is a fantastic, at least you've got a solid foundation. Yeah, we do. In the first year, we hired a company called In Any Event. I don't believe they're around anymore, but we hired them to help us with our first luncheon. So they, so to speak, could put together the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then we just took that and ran with it every year after that. Mm-hmm. So I, if, if individuals can afford to do that, that is the way to go because there's a lot of, you know, hiccups that you don't know anything about until they get there and then you kind of panic. But when you have a, a company that's done it multiple times and they can walk you through that, that was a, a great help to us. Mm-hmm. Something you said earlier that I do want to also delve into, you said something about, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a communications department, we don't have a marketing department. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder are you able to leverage your network in the community for any of those kinds of services to help and kind of fill in gaps or have you done that? We do. And we usually do it through volunteers. So, um, volunteer, I mean, volunteers have gotten us through a lot early on HCK two when we couldn't afford to hire a firm to help us with the marketing and communication, they did a lot of pro bono work for us. So, and you can find those, you just have to post it, you know, post it on your website or wherever you can that you need assistance in various, you know, things. Um, you can also go to your board, your board of directors, everybody knows somebody. I have 16, 17 board members. So, you know, you just have to put it out there that this is what we need help with. And there are always people that are willing to help. It's just, they just need to be asked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I have this completely straight, but I thought I also remember in our in our conversation earlier that you had mentioned that you also partner with your donors sometimes, your, or your supporters. Mm-hmm. To, to get what you need to be able to pulse off the event or mm-hmm. various other things during the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. How does that work? We have a, a great deal of supporters, for instance, um, and, and also it helps that we have this 29-acre campus and we built on six acres. The rest of it's covered in trees. It's floodplain, so Duck Creek runs behind it. But we have, you know, a, a nice-sized campus where corporations can bring their staff out to do volunteer projects. So I think that's helped us out a lot. Um, one of those companies is Amley, and they own quite a few apartment complexes and they come out with around a hundred of their staff every year and we do this honeydew list of things we need done on our campus so it could be you know painting the stripes in the parking lot to fixing some of the um the you know overhangs on the buildings or if we have sprinkler heads that are busted i mean we just give them an entire list painting our cottages etc and they come out and they spend a whole day and it's their amly give back day and they have like i said around 100 of their staff come out and they have lunch there and they have dessert they wait for the kids to get home from school and they can have dessert with the kids so amly has been a big supporter more partners is also a big supporter of ours they do three events for the kids a year so they have a christmas 
Christmas party at their office, which is great because they're over by the Galleria on the 10th floor. And we have kids who have never been in elevators. Uh, so for them to be in an elevator and then when they go into their office building, they're up, you know, pretty high and they can see the city. The kids love that. And they have Santa come and there's Chick-fil-A. They also do an Easter egg hunt at their offices. So they get their staff involved and then their staff come and volunteer individually um, throughout the year as well. So companies have done, <clears throat> excuse me, that before. Corgan Architects came out. We had a empty room in our girls' cottage, and we wanted to create a tranquility space for the girls. And they selected us as a project, and they, they painted and they designed this amazing room for the girls. So it's really just about inviting people in and giving those tours and letting them see what you do and what's on your wish list. You know, you can't keep it to yourself. You keep it to yourself, nothing will ever happen. So you have to put it out there and there's always um, individuals that want to help, always. How wonderful. I'm so glad that you're talking about this because I think it's so smart that, you, that you're that you kind of reaching into community like that. Mm-hmm. And obviously from the other vantage point, I, you know, I work from, I do a lot of organizational development work. So we're doing leadership development workshops, employee engagement workshops, teaching communication skills and conflict resolution, all that kind of a thing. And when I go in and I do team building sessions, a lot of times what people will say is, it'd be really great if we could go someplace off site uh-huh. or go do something where we're together as a group volunteering our time and abilities in, in, for community service, uh-huh. because that will help bring us together and yes. get us out of the world that we're so consumed by uh-huh. during the day or during uh-huh. the course of our work. And, and that is such a, a powerful and compelling way. I mean, I think if you can marry the idea of team building with being able to help your own backyard, your community, it's yes. beautiful. Yeah, and we've got this huge boardroom that individuals could use. We have a commercial kitchen, so we can prepare lunch, and we've done that before where individuals will have maybe district meetings, and they'll come out and they'll have their district meeting, like HP. They did that not too long ago. And so we'll have people from all over. They came out, they had their meeting, and then they volunteered with the children after that. So it was it was an amazing experience. Wow, um, I I just that makes so much sense to me, and I, I really do want to applaud that, especially for the nonprofits that are listening on on the on the, on the air right now. I think that 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 kind of creativity and collaboration is is so important because, as so. you say, you can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and there are people who want to help you if they understand who you are, what you're about, and what you need. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. And we can't do it by yourself. You know, I don't do any of this by myself. I have an amazing staff and we have amazing supporters and volunteers and we're we're all in this together. These are amazing children and we need to be there to help them. So So how do you do that outreach? Is that something, I know you said you have a staff that that helps with this, but are are any of you, is it just a matter of making sure that everybody's on point to to keep their eyes open for opportunities? It's really, it's speaking engagement. It's really going out in the public. And if anybody knows me, you cannot be in the elevator with me and not get off the elevator and know everything there is about Jonathan's place. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, Amley came about because I'm, I was shopping with a friend of mine and we were in Nordstrom and I was tired of shopping. So I sat on one of the little couches and there was a gentleman, Philip Prentice sitting next to me. And so I looked at him and I was like, hello. And I just started talking to him and I said, you know what? Um, do you volunteer? I said, because I need males to volunteer with some of our young boys. At the time, we had a sibling group of six. Wow. um, Two girls and four boys. And I said, I need male volunteers. You know, I said, we have basketball courts, we have bicycles, you know, to come out and volunteer. And he started volunteering. And he said he would. I was was walking through the campus one day and I saw him. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. Well, he actually worked for Amley. And he was the one that got Amley involved. So it's really about, I don't turn down any speaking engagements. And, um, 
you know, it's really just about being out there and talking about your agency. And it's very easy to do when you are passionate about it and you love what you do. You can't help but talk about it. Mm-hmm. Probably drives my husband crazy. That's all I talk about is Jonathan's place and my children there. But um, that's what gets the word out. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's really great to hear. And um, it, it makes me also re- remember that people who know me also know that I'm really famous for you know being anywhere and saying, hi, what's your name? Uh-huh. <laughs> what's your story? <laughs> Um, my my daughter is also she's like rolling eyes and oh my gosh here we go here we go mama's at the grocery store talking to people and I think when you love people when you just genuinely just love people and want to hear their stories it's just that's natural for you it is absolutely it is yeah um, in, in our short time together before we have to break again, I, I did want to hear a little bit more about your speaker. I know you mentioned Dr. Laura Johnson mm-hmm. before, but I'm really intrigued with yeah. her and her story mm-hmm. and the message that um, she shares. Can you say more about her? I can. I can. So she is from Dallas. And while in high school, like I said, you know, her mother was a heroin addict. Her father was an alcoholic. And the teachers just saw what she was going through. And um, she was so bright. She graduated valedictorian from her school. And the teachers, um, one teacher, especially one teacher and her husband, decided that they were going to put her through medical school. So her teachers supported her. They got together. They made sure she she got to all these exams that she needed to take while in high school to be able to get into medical school. So it was more than just slipping someone a check and saying, you know, here's a check to pay for the exam. It was about putting her in their car, driving her to take the exam and someone being there to pick her up. It was that that true support all the way around. And um so she she did graduate and um, this teacher did and her husband they started to put her through medical school um, and then while in medical school she met her her husband and ended up dropping out of medical school and he was in medical school as well and he transferred to another school now as soon as she transferred she she re, you know got reinstated and all of that and they both graduated um, as doctors but the teacher didn't know about that since she had you know kind of mm-hmm. moved from that first school. So she um, unfortunately went through a divorce and and moved to Dallas. She's now happily married with two beautiful children. But as she's, you know, driving down, I want to say it was 75 that she was driving down one day and she just thought, I really need to contact that teacher and let her know that I did finish and I do appreciate what she did for me. And she did that. And she contacted her and she just wanted to thank her for, you know, everything that she did for her and the support that she gave her that helped her become who she is. Because, um, you know, one thing that really struck me when I had lunch with her one day is she said that she didn't fit in at home because she wasn't an addict. And she didn't fit in at school because she didn't dress the part. She didn't look like the other kids. She didn't have the things that the other kids had. Mm -hmm. So she was in this world and she didn't fit into either place. But these teachers supported her and, you know, her friends' parents supported her, and that's what really got her through. <coughs> Excuse me. What an amazing story. And I actually, I want to hear her speak. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> We're already at our, our next break. Time flies so fast. It it's does. amazing. <laughs> We've been on the air with Alicia Fry, who is the chief executive officer of Jonathan's Place, <clears throat> which is a nonprofit organization focused on helping abused, abandoned, or neglected children. We've been talking a bit about how it is that she's she's pulled off this luncheon and really how she partners with the community to be able to fulfill her mission and keep her, her organization growing and moving. For the last segment after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about her own career and how she's navigated that and what she's learned that might be helpful to you along the way as well. Stay with us.
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the show. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just tuning in at this hour, my guest is Alicia Fry, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Jonathan's Place here in Dallas. That's where she oversees an emergency shelter, girls' residential treatment program, foster adopt program, transitional living program, and the National Safe Place program, among many other things that are in her, her hat. We're here together in my in my Dallas office studio, and we want to pick up where we left off. We were talking about how it is that she partners with various organizations and volunteers to be able to fulfill various missions, to, to pull off the luncheon that she's been working on, etc. For this last segment, I really wanted to focus on her own career path and how she's navigated that, what she's learned, what she thinks is important for people to be able to develop and grow and really achieve the career that they're looking for. So to that end, can you sketch for us your, your early professional background, Alicia? Kind of where did this all come from before you got into the nonprofit space? Sure. I was, um, first let me say, I was just one of those people that I was always envious of those who knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. 
(laughs) That was not me. I was not that person. I, you know, graduated from high school, went off to college, um, you know, grew up. I was a a military brat. My dad was a command sergeant major. My mother worked for Raytheon on the Hawk missile. Um, So I had parents who knew exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't. So I went off to college. I ended up dropping out because I just couldn't figure it out. I must have changed my degree three times, you know, and I just couldn't figure it out. And I, you know, just started working and really loved work and moved up very quickly in every job that I had. And I think it was because of my very strong work ethic and my love of people and just being around people and um, just having that positive attitude. So I've had, you know, a few jobs in my life. You know, my first one was major video and I moved up to a manager and just loved being around people. And then I um, worked for civil service. I moved to Europe and I worked in the German American hospital and loved that. So I was always open to anything and everything. In a sense, I think not knowing exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up allowed me to be many things. Mm. And so I, you know, I look back on it and I wish I would have given myself a bigger break that I wasn't so hard on myself for not finishing school at that time. I do have my degree now, but I got it later in life. But I always just moved up, so I never really needed it at the time, and I wasn't sure what my focus was. And so I worked for companies such as Helen of Troy, and they are manufacturers of Vidal Sassoon, Revlon, Dr. Scholl um, in uh, El Paso, Texas. And I had multiple jobs there and ended up working directly for the CEO at one point. And then um, left that job and decided, my husband works for a federal judge and we followed that judge from El Paso to Midland, Texas. And while in Midland, I decided, you know what, there's not much else to do in Midland. I'm going to finish my degree. It was just something that just kept bothering me. So I was working for AT&T at the time and working on my degree. And um, during that time, I joined the sociology club. And I, um, during, while in the sociology club, we went to various nonprofits as a project and we got to see the, the inner workings of these nonprofits. And, you know, while I was in corporate, you know, United Way would come out once a year and I would check the two boxes of who I wanted to give my money to, but I never went to any of those agencies. So I never got to see the children or the clients that they served. Um, but joining the sociology club, it really it really pulled at my heartstrings and I knew then I said, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to work in nonprofit. I want to give back. So we moved from Midland. I finished my degree. We moved from Midland following the same judge to um, San Antonio. And that's when I started looking for a job. And I was competing with individuals who had many years in the nonprofit, social workers, et cetera. So I was having a really hard time finding a job. And it was around eight months and I started to get really depressed. And I remember my husband taking me to lunch and saying, it'll be okay, you'll find your way, something will happen. And that was, we went to lunch in this historic area in downtown San Antonio. So he went back to work and I decided to walk around this area. And so I walked around, they had some old, great historic homes and I walked right up to one of these, a huge home and it had a sign out front and it said the children's shelter. And I stood in front of that sign and I cried and I thought, you are so blessed. You have an amazing husband. You have a roof over your head. What are you crying about? You need to go knock on that door and volunteer until something, something happens. So I did exactly that. I knocked on the door and I said, hey, I want to volunteer. So I started volunteering at the children's shelter. And then I saw an ad in the paper for a position there. So I filled out an application. It was for a position called um, 
our children's coalition and I didn't get the job, but, and that's so I continued to volunteer, but I'd say maybe a month later, the HR department called me and said, the CEO, Jack Downey is looking for an administrative assistant. And I thought, I just finished my degree. I want to run a program. You know, I don't want to be an administrative assistant. And so I was thinking, well, she said, you know, he'll be out of town, so he can't interview you for a month. So I thought, I'll find a job in a month. I said, sure, go ahead and put me down for the interview. A month came and went and nothing happened. I didn't have any other interviews. So I went and I interviewed with Jack and we hit it off. He was a retired colonel. I'm a military brat. We saw things the same way. And he hired me, and that's what really started it for me. Two months in, at the time they were they were raising they raised like fourteen million, and they were building this new campus. And um, I was two months in, and Jack said, "You can do much more than this. Why don't you hire a, a secretary that we will share? And I'm going to make you a special projects coordinator, and I want you to finish building a campus." And I thought to myself, of course, I said, I don't know anything about building the campus, but I said, sure. I was, I thought if he saw this in me and he is, you know, he could trust me that I will complete this and do it right. I'm going to do it. So I jumped in and started doing it and I made friends with the contractors and they taught me so much and we finished building this very amazing campus. And when I ended up leaving um, the children's shelter, I was vice president of support services. He had put multiple programs under me and I still stayed his right hand. So I got to work with the CEO and learn all the ins and outs of a nonprofit. Um, And so he was an amazing man. And um, he retired. And maybe a year later, we followed the same judge here to Dallas. And um, I worked at the Volunteer Center of North Texas for a year. And while there, it was amazing. Volunteers are great. We can't do anything without them. But I realized I miss children. And then Jonathan's place, that position became available. And I went ahead and accepted that position. But what it showed me is everything that has happened in my life prepared me for this job. And what I wish I would have done differently was maybe enjoy it a little more and not beat myself up thinking I didn't know which direction I was moving into because every single job prepared me for this job. And I wish I would have celebrated a little more, you know, with each position than what I did. I love that. And I've got to chime in on two fronts here for our listeners. So first, I absolutely applaud that you that you recognize that everything that you did before prepared you for this job. Mm-hmm. Because I talk to people all the time or worry that, well, if I jump this, this industry and go to something else, it's going to be all for naught. No, it isn't. Mm-hmm. You're going to take yeah, all that stuff and right. you're going to you're going to bring it forward. You're going to you're going to utilize it in some way that's and you're right. going to embrace it and it'll be part of you. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that our listeners hear that. The other thing that I really want to call out is, boy, the importance of having a mentor or a sponsor, Very somebody so. somebody who picks you up by the bootstraps and helps you and guides you. And if you if anybody like that is in your path, boy, don't let them get away. That's right. What I that's would tell right. the listeners is. That is profound. Mm-hmm. How long were you there at that place where you moved up to at, um, at the Children's Shelter in San Antonio? Yes. I was there around seven years. Seven years. Okay, yeah. so that's a lot of change, a lot yeah. of growth in seven years. Yeah, it really is. And I just, I trusted Jack, you know, and I trusted that he wasn't going to steer me in the wrong direction. And I also trusted that, you know, there's a lot of times people see things in you that you do not see in yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you trust that person, believe what they're telling you about yourself because you just don't see it. You know, and I trusted him. So I knew that he would not set me up for failure and that he would guide me where I needed guidance. 
One of, speaking of that, because you, you certainly got a lot of tutelage from him, but one of the things that I look at when I think of you as the CEO, of course, is the importance of ongoing self-awareness, mm-hmm. development, self-cultivation. So what kinds of things are you doing or have you been in doing to continually cultivate your own development and that of your team? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. it's I have an amazing support group of, of women that are my dearest friends, and they are amazing in their own way. And I think what really helps me is I go to other people um, whenever I'm having a dilemma or, you know, a problem and, and get their advice. You know, it's really know who your circle of friends are, know where their talents lie and go and ask for that help because they will definitely give it to you. They will definitely give it to you. And also my staff. My staff is amazing and I tell them all the time, I do not know everything. That's why I have you all here. And so I bounce things off of them. Sometimes our egos keep us from going and asking individuals because we feel like we have to know it all. We don't have to know it all. And you're learning every single day and you have to remember that. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, you're in the nonprofit space, so mm-hmm. that means you're not sitting around swimming in money. And by the Correct. way, neither are <laughs> many for-profit organizations either. Thank you very much. But but what kinds of things do you do to try to help develop your staff, mm-hmm. to bring up their skills, to help them with their own self-awareness and journey? We have a brown bag lunch every quarter. So I invite individuals to come out. And so we get a lot of in-kind donations. We'll have trainers come out and train us on personalities and communication and all of that. So we we do that. Um, we also, a lot of our staff, are they're licensed. So we make sure that they go to various trainings that will help them grow in their specific fields. So we ensure that we work that into our budget so we can afford that to make sure they're able to keep up their license and that they don't have to come out of pocket for that. Um, we also had this room. I'm so excited. We had this room that was, uh, it was supposed to be a classroom and it ended up turning into a storage room. And I always wanted that room to be a room where staff could go and just relax and be creative and just, you know, put some books out there and just various things. And so we had a group of individuals who came from Starbucks yesterday and they didn't have a budget or anything, but we had some some paint and they went and they cleaned up that room and they created this room for me. And it's kind of this think tank room for my staff. So I want to be able to hang posters up and have books there where they can read and they can learn about themselves and about how to work with other people and also a room where they can kind of de-stress because the trauma when you hear a child's trauma and you hear that story you can't just take that out of your brain that's that sticks with you that stays with you so it's really a room about self-care and make sure that they they take care of themselves Mm, what a gift yeah what a gift um, I'm, I'm curious, we don't have a whole lot of time left here, but I, I'd like for you to help us understand, you, you know, this show is really about how to help people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work. That's mm-hmm. the mission of the show. That's what I do in my business with, with organizations and individuals. Um, so I'd like to hear your take. What, what's, what kind of wisdom do you have can you offer for us to help people with that mission? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really ask themselves. You need to ask yourself, is this is this something that I enjoy doing? And if it's not, stop doing it. Start finding a way, find out what it is that you that you love. You know, and sometimes we don't know. Just like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was when I was growing up. I had no idea. 
So you have to test out everything. You know, if you're thinking and volunteer, that is a great way for you to figure out what it is that you want to do. And that opportunity can be right there. If you are in a job that you where you are so miserable and there's not one thing you can find about that job that you enjoy, then it's time for you to leave it. And I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but start working on that plan to leave it. If you, I mean, it could be something where you're just like, I love to garden. I, you know, I wish I could do that. Well, start volunteering at the Arboretum, you know, and you never know what can happen. You have to open yourself. Exactly. You have to open yourself up to these things Mm -hmm. for them to come to you. I had to open myself up. It wasn't easy for me to stop working and go to school. I had three part-time jobs. I was a substitute teacher. I worked for L'Oreal. So you have to open yourself up. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great way to finish. Um, so appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, the I was thrilled. I'm yeah. just thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I knew you'd be a fantastic guest in your work. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about Alicia Fry and the work she and her team are doing at Jonathan's Place, please do go to their website. It's jpkids.org. For next week's conversation, we'll be talking with Nicole Smith, and she is a real estate professional from Briggs Freeman Sotheby's here in the the Dallas area. And what's interesting about what she's going to talk about is she's going to share her perspective on the homes we live in reflect the chapters of our life stories. So think about that. You think about things that have happened in your life, what, what was going on in your career, your relationships that anchor and represent a point in time in your life story that is so significant and it's anchored to a place that you lived in. I think it's going to be a very powerful conversation. So join us next week. Remember, it works at least one third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.